Our scripture for today is John 14, 1 through 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do, not believe, do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Just as a little bit of kind of why we do the things we do, um, one of the things that, that we typically do is, is read the passage before preaching through it, and then also stand. And we're not just standing because it's something to do, but, but really wanting to, um, to honor the, and to, to give reverence and, and, and to really honor the Word of God. You know, So a, a way for us to say, the, we're, we're not believing that these are just suggestions. We're believing that these are truly the words of God that have been given for us to, to know Him, to know how to live um, in ways that we wouldn't have known unless He would have revealed those things to us. And so, uh, and then another thing that we really, it's not the way it, it just has to be. Like, there will be times that we preach through, like, some topic. Like, it might be like, hey, we're going to do a series on parenting or something because it's just so important. <laughs> uh, parenting is an important thing for us and an important thing that God has shared with us. So it, it won't be like unbiblical for us to say, well, what does the Bible, like what has God shared with us about parenting? And, and then we'll, we'll do a series like that. Uh, what we've typically done in the life of the church and what we will usually do, which will be the, the main thing that we do, is preaching through books of the Bible. Uh, so there are 66 of them, and I hope to get through many of them before before the Lord calls me to stop preaching and retire or, or he takes me home or whatever. But I would love for us to go through many books of the Bible. I think we're on book four or five that we've preached through since we launched the church. And part of that too, part of the reason we're going through verse by verse books of the Bible is because sometimes we can just pick or choose, just be like, oh, I, I like the way that sounds. Like that, that really makes me feel good. Let me preach that. And sometimes there are harder things where if you're like, ah, let's save that for some other time. But, uh, but what we're trusting is like, as we go through books of the Bible, that God in his wisdom has led us to that book and then has led us to this text for today. And man, I saw that when we preached through Daniel, and when we started Daniel, we didn't know anything that COVID was going to happen. And then all of the lockdown, all that stuff happened right as we were, and we had planned 
to go through Daniel way before we knew kind of how the world would be turned upside down and stuff. And to see God's wisdom on which texts were on which days, it was like, man, we, none of us could have been smart enough to figure this out. So as we preach through books, we're trusting that on this week, this is what God wanted us to go through. Uh, then I, I'm not sure what book we'll do after John. We've been in John for quite a while, but it's also a absolutely majestic book of the Bible that trusting that the Lord wants us to go at this pace and what we have today is what he wants us to have for today for, for our lives. And one of the things that has struck me is if you remember uh, Kip Hamby, Rachel Green's dad, preached last Sunday, and in that part of it was Jesus saying how one of his disciples is going to betray him. And, you know, I mean, imagine spending probably almost every day with a small group, 12 disciples, for three years, and all the things that they saw Jesus do, and for him to say, you're going to, one of you is going to betray me, stab me in the back. And then, also, Jesus says, I'm going to go. Um, I, I'm not always going to be here. And I think, like, there's a sense even now, like in my walk with Jesus, imagine if Jesus was like, Tim, I'm going to be gone soon, and you won't be able to interact with me for a while. I'd probably be like, oh gosh, like, this is not good. This is not what I want. Like, I, my whole world has been centered around you. And for the disciples to say, for three years, my world has been centered around you. Like, if some demon-possessed guy comes into our area, all of us are looking to you, Jesus, to like sort this out. We're all looking to you to let us know what we should do. I mean, you, you are leading us. You have become the center of my world. And then Jesus has said, hey, I'm, I'm going away. I'm, I'm not going to be around you anymore, and you can't follow me where I'm going. So for Jesus to tell his disciples, I'm going somewhere, and you can't follow me where I'm going. And because where he was going was to the cross. He was going to the cross to, to die on the cross for our sins, past, present, future sins. He's going to the cross to pay for our sins. He's going to pay the cost of humanity's sin. And he's saying, that's a road that I walk down alone. He's walking down that road, and then he's going to conquer death by his resurrection, and he is going to ascend to heaven. And he's saying, you can't follow me there, but he is paving the way for us to follow him there. So he's saying, I'm going there now, I'm paving the way for you to follow me, but right now you can't go where I'm going. And the disciples are kind of confused you know, we, we are like, oh, I know the story. The disciples are experiencing it in real time. And the, the thing I think that we could just say is that a, a way to describe it is their hearts are troubled. Their, their hearts are troubled. And I feel like what part of Jesus is doing in John 14 is to say, how, this is how you should think of our relationship when we are here and he is there. And so even before all of this gets played out, he is letting the disciples know, this is the way it'll look when I'm there and you, you are here. 
And so we're going to be in John 14. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to John 14. We have a stack of Bibles over there. We have scripture journals, which is just the book of John. Every other page is blank. You could take that, mark it up, take notes and everything. Um, but let's pick it up here in John 14, verses 1 through 3. And this, the verses will be on the screen here too. Let not your hearts be troubled. So just right there, we know their hearts are troubled. <laughs> They've heard what Jesus has said to them. And they're not like, oh, this is so exciting. You're going to ascend to heaven. Wow, we're really happy for you. And we're glad that you're paving the way for us and stuff. They're not. Their hearts are troubled. They're, they're in a tough spot. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And he, he, he's giving us promises. And there are several, there are about three kind of categories of promises that we're going to see that Jesus is giving um, after saying that, hey, you can't follow me right now, but I'm going to promise several things to you. And one of his promises is, I give you heaven. I mean, just that, I mean, for us to actually embrace that, that, that his promise is like, I know you're troubled that you can't follow me, but I promise you, I give you heaven. On the heels of being told all of this stuff, he says, hey, believe in me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He says that there's many rooms in his father's house. Um, some other translations had translated this mansions and stuff, but, but basically th there's many spaces, there's many rooms in his father's house, and Jesus says, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. One thing I thought about this week is he's been preparing a place for 2,000 years, right? He created this whole, like, our entire experience of anything you can go on vacation to see, any amazing Instagram-worthy landscape. He, he created all of that in seven days. So first of all, I'm like, what type of a place is this? Uh, you know, how much... Um, richness is happening here. And I don't think he, he's like just been sweating, like creating, you know, nonstop. But for, for there to be a realization that he is preparing our true home. Uh, some people have referred to our life here as us being in the far country. We, we, we don't think like, oh, I'm at home now. And when I go to heaven, I'll like go on this far trip or whatever. It's like, no, you're not home now. You're in the far country, and you will be home, and that place has been prepared for us. And it's, it's a home where we will feel more alive than we've ever felt. It, it's a home that's free from any sin, any sin that we, that, that we commit and feel shame or, or sorrow, any sin that has been committed against us, relational sins, any disease and just all the repercussions of disease and just the brokenness of the world, um, the home that he's preparing for us will be a better fit for us than even the most perfect 
just got the house I wanted it, just got the job I wanted, just got the kids the way I want them, like, I'm set. And you'll be like, man, I was always uh, a round peg trying to get in a square hole, and I will actually fit when I'm home. Uh, we'll be able to see each other reach our full potentials. And um, he's, he's going, he says, hey, I know you're going to feel sorrow. I know you're going to be troubled, but I'm, gonna go, I'm going to prepare a permanent home for you. And then the more I looked into it this week, uh, it kept coming up and scholars kept coming up that it's like, don't think that he's only leaving to prepare a permanent home. He's also going to prepare a temporary home for us. Because the, the way that he, that he describes what he's doing is that he is going to the cross. He is dying for our sin. He's conquering death. He is alive and well. He's interceding for us, we're told. And what our God is doing is our God is working in our midst, in time, where he is forming us into his body. Is, so what scripture tells us is when you believe in Jesus, when you give your life to him, the terminology that scripture uses is you're saved. You're saved. You were once lost, now you're found. You're saved. And when you have been saved, born again, given your life to Jesus, he has taken your sin as far as the east is from the west. And what he has done is he has handcrafted you into his church, which he calls his body. He is the head, he's firing all the neurons, and he's making all the parts of the body work. And so when he goes to prepare a place for us, he's, he's going to prepare both a permanent home for us, but he's also creating the church, which is our home we should feel at home here and being formed into a church, into a healthy church, into his body, is us experiencing heaven on earth. The close that we can experience heaven on earth with the relational uh, connectedness, locking arms together. And so when he says, hey, I got to go, and we could say, well, he's been gone a long time. And I could say, like, well, I'm glad, I'm glad he didn't come back before 1997 for me. Because if, if he would have come back in 1982, I wouldn't have given my life to Jesus. I wouldn't have been a part of his church. I wouldn't have been formed into this. So a lot of times it's not like he's not coming back because like he can't find the way back or something. It's only his mercy that he hasn't come back sooner to allow more people to give their lives to Jesus, to be formed into his church, to be with him forever, and for us to, to truly have our, our home in him. So he says, I'm going to give you heaven. This is his promise. I'm going to give you to heaven. And our response should be that we believe and wait. We will believe and wait. So having troubled hearts, we're saying, hey, this is what he instructs us to do, is to believe in him and to wait. And our waiting is not passive. It's not just sitting on the couch. It's an active waiting as we are being discipled into our church home and leading others into the same freedom. Now look where he takes verse 4. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, you can see Thomas's personality. He chirps up 
at times where you can tell he's really logical. Uh, he's got to really understand. He probably would be an engineer today or something where he's got to connect all the dots and stuff. He was the one that said, I won't believe the resurrection happened. You told me Jesus is alive. I'm not going to believe it unless I can actually stick my finger into his side and, and feel the wounds and see him for myself. And so you can tell Thomas is, is the analytical one in the group. And so Jesus says, you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So his amazing promise here is, I give you the way. So he said, I, I give you heaven, and I'm giving you the way. The way is not a series of directions. The way is not some destination that like once you get to the way, like once you get to this place, you'll then like know how to get to heaven. The way to heaven is a person. The way to heaven is a person. If you meet the person Jesus, you know the way. Here's what's interesting though. Many people met Jesus and didn't know the way. So I'll say again, like, if you know Jesus, if you meet Jesus, you will know the way. But many people met Jesus and didn't go to heaven. They were no better off. Jesus even radically healed a group of people, and only one actually returned to Jesus to want to know him. The rest, Jesus was like, man, they're no better off being radically healed because they, they're no closer to me. They, they, they had an encounter with me but they never actually knew me. The people who know Jesus are the people who believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. This is contrary to, I think, like our culture will say, we are the way, the truth, and the life. Right? Social media is designed to look the way I want it to look. You know, if I like like pull up my dad's social media feed, I'll be like, ah, this, none of this is relevant to me or something. No offense, dad. We just pay attention to different things. But it, and if my dad probably pulls mine up, he's going to be like, I'm, I'm not, this isn't my, you know, I'm not interested in any of this stuff, you know? Um, and it just makes it seem like we each have our own way. And, and it can seem, our culture is, is, is really flimsy on truth, that, that it's a really personal, you know, well, I'll, I'll, I'll be judge of that. I'll, I'll let my truth kind of go, and you know, I'll let you know what brings life. And it's so easy either for us to be the way, the truth, or the life, or maybe our, like our grandmother. You know, when I, when I have a question about God, I ask my grandmother, and she tells me what the way is, and, and she tells me you know, what's truth, and, and she'll kind of guide me in what brings life. And man, like we should love our grandmothers and we should be really kind to our grandmothers, but, but Jesus alone says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, we, can, we can follow a lot of things that promise to make us more alive than ever. You know, you're at the grocery store and you got all those magazines right there. They're all promising to just make us more alive than we've ever felt, more free than we've ever felt. And man, if you go down all of those roads, they're going to feel underwhelming. They're, they're not going to feel like exponentially life-giving. 
And Jesus says, if we know him, we know the truth. We know the way just by knowing him. And he doesn't say a way. He says the way. Not like, follow me, I'm a way. Uh, unless you follow something else that gets you to the same place. He's the way, the only way to get us to him, to heaven, to the Father. Jesus says, if we know Jesus, we know and have seen the Father. Okay, we're going to start walking in some deeper water here this morning. So when Jesus says that you will know, if, if you know Jesus, you know and have seen the Father, it doesn't mean that Jesus and the Father are the same. Okay? These are, these are very, like wars have been fought on the nuances of what we're going to talk about this morning. If you, if Jesus says, if you've seen me and you've seen, you've seen the Father, it doesn't mean Jesus and the Father are the same. Okay? Both the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are God. And we have one God. Okay? We have one God. If you're tortured and it's like, how many gods are there? Always say one. There's one God. Our one God exists as three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Father, Son are not the Holy Spirit. Okay? They're all distinct. Yet Jesus can say, if you know the Son, you know the Father. His promise here is, I give you the way, our response should be, we will follow. I give you the way, we will follow. Jesus has just made this statement about seeing the Father, and Philip says this in verse 8. So Jesus has said this, remember Thomas interjected first, Philip, I think he spent time with John the Baptist, I think Philip is probably like, hey, I theologically might know a little bit more than than Peter might know as a fisherman, or, you know, I think Philip might have spent more time in biblical schooling and stuff like that. So Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. I, I think Philip might be saying like, okay, Jesus, I know you're going somewhere, and we can't follow you, but just give us the, show us the Father, and we're good. And it's, I was kind of scratching my head in this passage of why would Philip say that, because um, all throughout the Old Testament, it's clear that you don't just see the Father. Elijah, even, if you remember, was like, hey, just let me see just the back of your robe. Just maybe, just let me see maybe the back of your robe, and maybe I will survive. Because there's even scripture saying, like, if you truly just saw God in all of his splendor, if you saw the Father for all of you he was, you would not survive that encounter. It, it, would be, it would be too much for you to survive that. And most people believe that Jesus, in, Jesus is the only one of the Trinity that anyone's ever visibly seen. So Adam and Eve, when they walked with God in the garden, they were walking with Jesus in his pre-incarnate form. Before he, he came to earth, Christmas time, uh, they're seeing Jesus in the garden. Abraham is seeing Jesus. Jacob is wrestling with Jesus. Um, and so, but here, Philip is saying, Show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? I'm sure Philip was like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, like he's just been called out in front of the disciples. Like, how can you say, Show us the Father? Then Jesus says, verse 10, Do you not believe that I am in the Father? 
He doesn't say, I am the Father. He says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So Jesus takes us into really deep waters here on the Trinity. And he is revealing, remember this is last week alive on earth, and he is revealing things about the Trinity that, that you, we could piece together and stuff, but he's giving a lot of really fascinating clarity. And the technical theological term that Jesus is teaching us here is called perichoresis. Okay, perichoresis is the term that's being here. And once again, we affirm the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. Each are distinct persons. Each person of the Trinity has their own voice. Each person of the Trinity has their own will. How Jesus even prayed, like, I, I, I'm doing the will of the Father. So each person of the Trinity has their own will. Each person of the Trinity has their own distinct centers of consciousness. So thoughts. Like, like the Son is thinking distinct from the Father is thinking, distinct from the Spirit thinking, okay? So, so we have three wills, conscious thoughts, three persons of the Trinity, and we have one God, three persons. And the makeup of our God is truly the most complex reality in existence. The makeup of just who our God is is the most complex reality in existence. And I could argue for hours, you would want it to be no other way. You would want it to be no other way. Like if you are standing in the Louvre and you're looking at the Mona Lisa painting and you're seeing this, this really amazing masterpiece, right? You wouldn't meet Da Vinci later. Um, da Vinci, right? Yes. You wouldn't meet Da Vinci later and be like, wow, he's like simpler. He's like way more simple than his painting. Like, you just wouldn't think that, right? You'd be like, man, if you can create that masterpiece and even create the, the, the paints and make them yourselves and stuff like that, like, like, you are more complex than your creation. The creator is always more complex than the creation. So you think of the most complex thing you can think of on earth. The creator will always be much more complex than his creation. So Jesus is letting us into some complexity here, even of perichoresis, that we need. If, if we are going to worship and follow a God that can actually like eternally save us, that can guarantee promises to us, like if you follow me, like you are going to go to heaven and I will come back for you and I will bring you where I am. I could promise you all that stuff and I couldn't fulfill one ounce of that promise. You know, I mean, like I just, I could, that could be wishful thinking, but it wouldn't be a legitimate promise that you can hang your hat on or hang your life on that. But he does things and promises things, and then he's letting us in at the end here of his life here, letting us in on the infinite complexities of who he is. And in the perichoresis here, the Trinity is made up of three distinct persons, and they also move in and out of each other in a way that Jesus can say, he is in the Father. 
and the Father is in him. The Father can say he is in the Son. And there is so much mysterious, beautiful complexity that it should take our breath away. That it's like, man, when, when I look at Jesus and I look into his eyes, I'm not seeing this like, you know, crazy being that's having all these things happening to him. He is one that people, sinful people, felt at home with him. He says, I didn't come to judge the world. I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. And, and one of the aspects here is that, that is beautiful that he is telling us is when we look to our God, we are looking to a Trinitarian God who all three persons of the Trinity are actively working to save us. Jesus alone was on the cross, but when we look and we're like, man, I think I see the Father, I think I see the Son, I think I see the Spirit, it's like, yes, like that is the type of unbelievable love we have, is that all three persons of the Trinity are actively working for our salvation. His promise is, I give you the Trinity. His promise here is, I give you the Trinity. Look at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus is saying, is like, as we get to know God better, right? when I first gave my life to Jesus in 1997, if you had said the word perichoresis, I would have been like, never heard of it. No idea what that is. It sounds like some disease you can get or something. You know, I just would have never known. You know? But the more that he teaches us who he is, the more he teaches us the depths of who he is, the more our thoughts of him expand. Um, I, I heard one guy once say, the most important thing about you is what you think when you think about God. It, that will define the rest of your life. That's true. The most important thing about you is what you think when you think about God. You know, someone's like, God, and you're like, that's me. It's like, wow, that's going to affect your life and affect the people around you. If you say God and you describe the God of the Bible in intimate detail, and it's like, wow, you know him. And knowing him will deeply affect the way we live, will deeply affect our lives. So as Jesus, which is his design of this book is as he takes us into depth that we haven't experienced yet in understanding the Trinity, and you can even read whole books and how the Trinity interacts with each other, is the more we understand about him, then look, he goes to talk about our works. Truly, truly, I say, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Good works for us to do is a natural outcome of us learning more about him. And, and following him. The more, the more that we understand the mission he's given us to be discipled by him, to be formed into a living church, his body moving in our community, as we understand how our Trinitarian God is moving in us and through us, works are done. And I think when I was growing up, when I would think about doing things for God, it would always be with this, with this look of, I got to do things for God so that he will find favor with me, so that he will accept me. Like, I, I need to do some things so that when I stand before him, I can say, look at these things I did. 
And it's like, oh, that was really awesome. Yeah, go ahead. You're one of those good guys or something. Like that's kind of, I, I did things to try and win his favor as opposed to realizing I won his favor because of what Jesus did for me. I won his favor because of how he's pursued me. And when I surrendered to me being the way, the truth, and the life, to give my life to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, now I want to live the way he wants me to live. I want to do the works that he wants me to do, not to win his favor, but because he has let me know that I have his favor. And it's not, I don't deserve it, but I accept it. And so his promise is, I give you the Trinity. And our response is, we will work and pray. We, we will work and pray, not to work for his favor, but to work because we have his favor. And, and we, we pray, he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We could say, wow, that's great. I'm going to ask for a million dollars. And make sure you say in Jesus' name at the end. And it'll, he tells me here, whatever I ask for, I got it. So just make sure you ask it in his name. That it's not what he means. Jesus promises to answer all the prayers of those who seek to fulfill the tasks he gives them to do. So when our will and his will come together, he's always a yes. He's always a yes. When his will and our will come together, he's always a yes. When we are praying in his name to do the things that he has given us to do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Man, like, that's my, my prayer for us. My hope for us is being his hands and feet here, that we would each be his hands and feet here. As he gives us heaven, as he gives us the way, he is the way, as he gives us the fullness of God, that we'd respond. We'd respond by believing, we'd respond by following, we'd respond by, by doing his works and by praying. And man, I think like it's easy to, to, to make ourselves be the exception. It's easy to say like, well, I'm single right now, and so this is a great message maybe for somebody else, but like when I get married, I can really do this. Or maybe you're married in a way that you're like, well, once my spouse changes, I could really do this. Or maybe you've got a house full of kids, and you're like, I will totally do all of this stuff once things calm down in my life. And once, once everything slows down and the kids are all in college, man, I will follow him like crazy. All the way. And um, maybe you just feel like you're too broken. Like, I'm all busted up. I'm, I'm too broken for this. I, I'm, I'm too, I, I've just, too many bad things have happened. I've sinned too much. I've been sinned too, too much. Or, or people have, uh, have sinned against me too much. Or, or I'm, I'm not well enough. Um, and so, so surely there are other people who feel good enough to really do the works of God. And man, my, my prayer for all of us is that this message is for all of us. That this is for me, it's for you, that today he is your way. Today he is my way. Today he is my truth. Today he is my life. And if any of us are struggling to fully accept that, I think a great prayer is, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, Help my unbelief. And maybe you're saying, I believe for the first time. And, 
and maybe you're saying, help my unbelief for the first time. And this is all beautiful ways for us to respond to him. He's not looking for perfection. I mean, Thomas himself um, and Peter and all, some guys in the mix who are hearing him say this are going to walk away from him. And Jesus is going to bring them back. So as we believe, let us be doing the works of God. Let's be directed by him. Let's be empowered by him. Let's be praying according to his will. And I think a good way for us to respond personally is with communion. This is Jesus' design for us. There's going to be ways in community group that we're going to talk this week about, about how to respond to this. Um, I would encourage each of us just to, to open our Bibles this week, maybe open to John 14 and read these passages again and just be like, Lord, teach me what you want for me through these words. Um, communion this morning is a beautiful way for us to commune with him. Like he's saying, I'm going, I'm preparing a place for you, but it doesn't mean his presence isn't active here. It doesn't mean that he isn't, in a very real sense, present here. And at the same time, he said, I want you to do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. We will do this in heaven at the wedding feast of the Lamb together, which will be a beautiful day. Today, we, together as his church, commune with him through communion. And I think we've got a couple of students from the well that are going to be serving us, if you guys would come up. And they'll have uh, plastic gloves on. And if you just walk up like this, they will rip each piece of bread and put it in your hand and say, this is the body of Jesus given for you. We have wine or juice. Obey your conscience there. So um, we'll describe a little bit more what, what is happening in communion um, as we step into that. But if you have given your life to Jesus, you've believed him as your savior, you are welcome to the table. If you come from a Methodist background or whatever, if Jesus is your savior, um, you are welcome here. This is for any who have placed their trust in Jesus. Um, there are warnings in scripture not to come to the table too quickly. Allow the Lord to do work in you. Allow the Lord to reveal things maybe of what's come up this morning. Um, spend some time with him and then come confidently to the table. Um, if you're putting your trust in Jesus for the first time, just say, you don't have to do anything fancy. Just say, I believe you. I'm following you. And come to, come to the table. And I'd love to talk to you more about that uh, later this morning. Um, if, if you know, hey, I, I know I'm not there yet. I know I'm not there uh, with Jesus. I would just encourage you, instead of coming to the table, just would you spend time just focusing on coming to Jesus, maybe asking him if, if all of this is real and showing it to you. So let's take some time meeting with him, and then what we'll do is we'll, we'll come down center aisle, take the elements, then let's stay standing, and we'll take it together as family.